I hope you're learning something in the Sermon on the Mount. We've been here for like 12 weeks now, and we talked about a lot, right? And we'll talk about more. And one of the things we want to talk about today is this notion of revenge or vengeance. How many of you guys like movies? We all like movies to a certain degree, right? What's our favorite movie? We have a favorite theme in America. It's proven. We like the underdog gets payback story in America. I.e., I don't know if you've seen it. If you don't, haven't seen it, you don't need to run out and see it. It's a good movie. It's a long time ago. Braveheart. Remember Braveheart, anybody? The underdog got payback, and we said, yes, because that resonates with us. There's some good reasons that should resonate. One, of the injustice done to this William Wallace's character's people. We saw that. But then when he went all uh, Ultimate Warrior Green Beret back in the day, maybe some of us had a different type of reaction, right? Because he paid back violence with what? More violence. And so we're going to talk about that notion because it resonates with a lot of us. Jesus has something to say about this. Equally as important, God has something to say, and I hope you see that this week. So we're going to put it on the screen again. I'm going to pray and we'll head on into it. Matthew 5, 38, after I pray. Father, help me and help us work on our hearts. Show us the freedom offered in the gospel and in walking in the kingdom, not beholden to the laws of any land or the spirit of the air or even what has shaped us, but show us what freedom looks like. And help me speak your truth now in Jesus' name. Amen. Cindy read the scripture. Let me just, Matthew 5.38. You ever just, there's five of these sayings. This is the fifth. There's actually six. We're going to look at the next one last week. But Jesus says this six times in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it was said. You know what he really says? In your old Bible it says this, I'm going to one-up it. That's what it literally means. Is there any reason why Jesus got in trouble with religious people? If Jesus was here preaching this sermon, he would say to us, he's not, so take this for an example. In your Bible it says this, I'm going to tell you something new. Most of you good Christians would be like, I'm out of here. I remember my parents explaining to me the theory of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth when I was like seven or eight years old, because I heard it, maybe on the news. And the theory, at least in America back then, and I'll get to what Moses probably meant about it, was that's a way of capping violence, right? Capping vengeance. And Jesus says, you have heard it was said, this is the way it should be, verse 39, but I said to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also, verse 40, and if anyone should sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well, in verse 41. And if anyone forces you to go a mile, go with him two miles. Jesus, in this teaching, brings a laser-like argument to the notion of vengeance and revenge. And he's doing it where? Is in the sermon, is he talking on an outward level? Never. Where is he talking about revenge and vengeance? In that, not Oregon, but in that place where you, who, you, you are who you are, your heart and soul. And he wants to deal with it. 
What's our world's motto? Revenge is best served cold. There's some truth in that in sports, but I will just go with sports, all right? But Jesus' motto is, revenge is best left to your heavenly Father. And we'll talk about why he's not calling us to be doormats as we close, but he's saying, trust and obey. Quickly, how did recorded civilization in the Bible start? It started out okay, it got real weird real quick in about five chapters, and God started over, per se, with humanity in Genesis 6. That's a fast statement, but that's what happened. Genesis 4.23. Kim, can you turn there? Genesis 4.23, I'll give you a second. If there was Facebook back in Genesis 4, there would have been a man named Lamech, and he would have had his profile picture, right? And he was interesting. So let me read about this in Genesis 4. Lamech said to his wives, plural, first problem, brave man, amen? Wives, plural, okay? Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, wives, You wives of Lamech, listen to what I have to say. Does that go over well in the home? Never. Anyways, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. And that might have been his Facebook status. I have killed a man for wounding me, and I have what? This was a young man, and he struck me, but I killed him, so I ramped it up. Next verse, 24. If Cain's revenge, and listen to this with a keen ear, is sevenfold, remember Cain? Lamech was six generations removed from Cain. Then Lamech is 77-fold, or 70 times seven. Does that sound familiar when Jesus teaches later? So this was the notion back when civilization started. Nancy, she would never do that, but if she slapped me, I'm bringing both guns. Right? The point in which I bring that up is to show, since our foundation, violence begat vengeance, and vengeance continued to begat what? Violence, and it always escalated, right? It was never, Josh slapped me, I just slap him back. It was, Josh slapped me, and then I punch him, and then what happened? Josh brought a stick back then, then I brought a rock, and then one of our lives was lost. It was always escalating. So... What did Moses do? Kim, you can get there. Exodus 21. Exodus 21, 23. Moses, when he was the leader, saw this in the people of God and said, I've got to try and do something. And the Lord gave him a plan. This is speaking actually of a pregnant woman, but it has to do with harming people. Exodus 21, 23. But if there is harm, then you shall what? Pay life for life. Moses puts a cap on retribution. Whatever happens to you, you can only, under God's provision, do the same. You cannot escalate. Let me read it. Exodus 21, 23. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life. Verse 24, here it is. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, sorry, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, and stripe for stripe. Don't turn there, but uh, sorry, Isaiah 53 later brings this full around and said, our wounds are healed by his wounds, and we are healed by his stripes, speaking of Messiah. But this was a beautiful picture of what was to come. But listen, it was also just a cap in society, so violence would be, in a sense, contained. In more primitive times or more primitive areas, what happens? 
Our good friends Joel and Ellen are here. What if Joel offends me and he's from Belmont? I go kill Joel. That's what happens in primitive times or primitive places. Because I am, I'll take vengeance upon my name or whatever I do. Does Ellen now leave it at that? No, because Ellen wants to avenge her husband's death. Now she comes and takes out what? My whole family, right? Now my church goes, the heck with that. We're going to take care of all of Belmont, right? That's how the human condition works. It's always escalating. And so the Old Testament commission was just let the retribution be for whatever it is. If I do something and cause someone's hand to be lost, guess what happens to my hand? It's lost no more. So that's Moses' context. That's what makes sense, right? And then Jesus says, you have heard it was said, but in his fulfilling, Matthew 5, 20 and 21, he says, I'm going to raise the standard and show you what the kingdom looks like. So that was a lot of backstory and context, but we have to know it, otherwise we'll miss what's happening here. As Christians, we do not have the option to roll with Jesus when we want to and go back to Moses when we want to. Do you get that? We can't do that. We can't go, I'm for Jesus, everything over here, but guess what? To my enemies, Moses for president. We can't do that, or we misunderstand Jesus. But as Christians, all of us, I'm speaking to myself, that's what our hearts want to do a lot of the time, right? <laughs> I want to go back to Exodus. I want to see vengeance here and now, and Jesus has better news for us. He has a better way. Jesus literally rewrites the policy pertaining to vengeance and revenge in the New Testament, and he has given us this command to love God and love others, and he showed us what it looks like. What is Jesus doing here? And this is the good news, so hear this. Jesus is ultimately fully revealing the heart of God for humanity. Right here. So many times we get the question, what is God like? We could answer in a myriad of ways. We should use scripture. But ultimately, we must say once and for all, we don't know fully what God's like. That's part of the reason he is God and we're not. But God is like Jesus, especially in the Sermon on the Mount. Many of us sing about the grace of God. We should. Many of us marvel in the glory of God found in the forgiveness of sins. Would you or I have any relationship with God if he was eye for an eye? I wouldn't. I'd be blind and dumb and deaf and no hands, no feet. But what God is revealing to us is this is completing my ultimate revelation. Written word, yes. We've talked about that at length. But Jesus living, breathing, and teaching and fulfilling you got to see this. We got to see this. It's been said before by smarter people, but if we literally lived by an eye for an eye, this would be a blind world because our day would come. Jesus did not come to bring blindness. God did not come to bring blindness in Christ. He came to bring sight so that we would see there's a new and better way, the way of his kingdom, the way of the gospel. Good news to those who will hear and receive now, this is real easy for a pastor living in suburbia in a pretty wealthy community to spout off, right? But let me bring some context. Jesus is teaching this sermon to common people, 
we would call them Jewish seekers perhaps, with opposition, at least in earshot, on the side of a hill, while he and they are occupied by a world superpower, the only one of its day, the Roman Empire. Think about that, right? Anybody, and I don't want to get too, have you ever been kind of maybe held at work beyond your will, like time to go home but I can't? I used to work on the ambulance, and um, this is the, there's great parts about the ambulance as a paramedic. The one bad part is your unit can never go offline, kind of like the fire department, right? Like San Carlos unit is always there, even if the person who's relieving you is hungover or sleeping. So think about that. Justin and I have a date. We got concert tickets. I spent the money. I'm going to be home at 6. This was before texting. I would call her. Uh, So-and-so is probably going to be late. And then she would say, what? And then as the minutes go by, right, I'm held, and all I want to do is kind of get back and do my thing. And then often what would happen was the same person who made you late would call you a week later and go, can you come in two, hour, two hours for me? I got something to do. And that's when you're like, revenge is best served. But Jesus has things to say. If our allegiance is to him, there's a better way. So think of the Roman Empire. You guys know history. They had a great philosophy. Pax Romana, we'll bring peace while we conquer you. <laughs> Obey and you'll live. You'll have peace. And interestingly enough, we see the slapping and giving. That's, Jesus isn't being cute. Jesus is being literal when he says, don't resist the one who's evil. Deal with it in this new way. But he brings up this notion of walking two miles, right? If any of you know history or maybe geography, ancient geography, Rome did try to make a road that led to Rome from every one of its colonies. We'll say it that way. That's what happened. It was a domineering thing. There was psychology behind it. But they needed many people to work. So one of the laws, one of the common laws in Rome was if there was an official or a soldier, Roman, he could ask any citizen to help him and walk one mile with him. Walk one mile. And do you think this person, usually a man, almost always a man, that's what I've read, do you think the man who was helping this Roman soldier or official would walk the mile with him empty-handed? No, that wasn't the point. Usually a 60 or 80-pound pack you would have to carry. So picture this. We, as people, maybe were conquered by a Roman empire, and what all you wanted to do after our gathering was go to the farmer's market, get your things, and go home and take care of your family, because you're a good man or a woman. But what if you walk right out that door, right there, and there's an official, and maybe a soldier with weaponry, and they say, Bob Page. He's like, huh? I need you to carry this 80 pounds to Menlo Park. Right now. Bob's a nice guy. But that was what was happening all the time. So I had a kind of pithy little example with my former employment way back when about being late and whatnot. But what if you're walking down the El Camino with the quote-unquote oppressor's baggage on your back, what is going through the mind of the hearers when that happens? Because they're used to it. I hate these Romans. I can't wait to get back at these Romans. 
when is Messiah coming? Because he's going to drop the hammer on these who? Romans. Who invented mile markers? Rome. When it got to one mile, what was the common reaction in the day? Poof! And they go right back to what they had to do. Probably with a few interesting words on the way, right? You turkey is what they might have said. So that's the context. And Jesus says, don't just walk one mile, but go ahead and walk what? What is Jesus doing? He is not calling anyone to be a doormat. He is giving his listeners, people who receive and obey, the grace to rise above empire, rise above the systems of this world, rise above their own hearts and be free. Because if you and I can get to a point and take Jesus literally here and see his teaching as not so much for when we get to heaven, but walking the heavenly way now, you will be free to serve him in any capacity. You won't be enslaved to self or America or Western church or anything, but you will be free. Said Roman soldier, same example, what if I had the pack and say, no, I'll head to Palo Alto, it's cool. He's going to look at you like, what? Come on, I'll head to Palo Alto too, let's keep walking. In this example, Jesus gives us the true license to object rightfully and protest what is wrong in grace. You see that? Proverbs talks about if you really want to get at someone, pour loving kindness on their head when they're being mean to you. And Proverbs pretty much says it will mess with their minds and you will be free to do so before your heavenly father. What Jesus is saying when it comes to vengeance, if we live in that space, if we live as the world has lived for thousands of years, we are in bondage to self, to empire, to system of the world. John talks about that. Everything that Opposes God as a system of the world, but if we walk in the grace provided by Christ, we are free to go, I'll walk with you to Palo Alto. And hear this, it's not so much to share the gospel with him, it's to pour burning coals on his head. What does the Roman soldier think then? Oh. I'm terrible. Shame on me, not shame on them. So Jesus says, absorb this, see these examples, and don't be bound by these thoughts of vengeance and revenge. Lead that up to the Heavenly Father and walk in freedom. You will be free, metaphorically, like Isaiah chapter, I won't say it, uh, I don't want to misquote it, like in the Old Testament, other poetic passages that talk about us gliding like the wings of, on the wings of eagles, like running like the youth. Because everyone that we come in contact, I won't say that, most people we come in contact with are bound by vengeance and retribution. Just look at Facebook. Just have conversations with people. Oh, it's going to be a good day when it comes full circle to so-and-so, Right? Jesus is giving us a out to walk in the here and now as a free man or woman doing the deeds of God by loving people, even loving enemies. 
You may have forced me, Roman soldier, to carry this bag one mile, but no one can force me to carry it two miles. I'm serving my king. You want to mess with someone? Go with that. Don't go with the nasty email. You realize nasty emails get saved forever, right, church? You realize five years later you might not feel the same way, but it's there forever? Serve people in that way. I am free and I'm doing this as Paul would say to the church in Colossae, unto the Lord in chapter 3. Do everything, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, unto the glory of Christ. And this is what it also says, me serving you in this way, I'm serving Christ. And I will prove to you, Roman soldier, and to your wicked empire per se, I will not be scripted so that I will seek vengeance. I will be freed so I will love the Lord. And we got to see it this way. Christ has provided me the freedom. His, not so much in the Sermon on the Mount, that's where we got to get careful. Has Christ died yet when preaching the Sermon on the Mount? No. He's simply prescribing how to live a kingdom lifestyle then and now. But in this understanding, we know that Christ, by dying on the cross and shedding his blood, has ultimately given us the freedom to obey his commands. And again, Jesus is saying, don't be, I'll say it this way, he's not telling us to be doormats, he's offering an alternative, a better way that rightfully protest this world. I know you, you're rebels at heart like me. You want to sometimes protest things, right? God's prescribed a way to do it, which brings glory to him. As we close, this would have been Abraham Lincoln, 1860s, what's that, like 140 plus, 155, 160 years ago he, he was around? Is that close? Somewhere in there? 200 years before the birth of Jesus, there were a few zealots and a few revolutionaries, right? What did zealots and revolutionaries do? Stirred up trouble, predicated on vengeance usually and making things right, and there was often violence if it escalated to that, right? This name might sound familiar to you, but there was a gentleman named Judas Maccabeus. Apocrypha, we don't hold it as part of the canon per se, but first and second Maccabees described kind of what happened and what was going on historically. And there he led a great revolt against the Hellenists, the Greek culture. And it led to violence and he won many battles. You know what his nickname was in the streets? Steph Curry is Chef Curry, right? That's his nickname. Judas Maccabeus was known as Judas the Hammer. Because once he got to power and you disagreed with him, what did he do? He dropped the hammer. And one of the calling lines was from one of his mentors was, avenge the wrong done to my people and pay back the enemy in full. That'll get you elected in the White House or in any country, because it resonates with us. What Jesus said is counterintuitive, it's even counter-spiritual, unless we're tapped in to what he's doing and walking in the spirit. Avenge my people, pay our enemies back in full, yes! Turn the other cheek and love your enemies. 
crickets, right? Nobody says a word. But what we have to see is Jesus, too, was a revolutionary. He was a zealot in the right way, and he offered a new way. He was fully communicating what God was saying with violence and vengeance. Done with it, finished on where? The cross. The ultimate violence and payback was done for us so we would be freed. But back to this Judas the hammer guy. Much of what the people wanted, and one of the reasons why Jesus was crucified as a meek, weak failure, is because people in Jerusalem and in Rome wanted a Messiah like Judas the hammer. Just hammer those Romans, man. You know what they've done? And they did. They were bad people. What was inflicted was not good. I'm not getting at that. But Jesus says, trust the gospel. Trust the Lord. Trust the way. There's a better way. So the question we have as is, I'll say it this way, what do we want in our hearts our Messiah to look like? Do we want Jesus the hammer? He doesn't exist, folks. Or do we want Jesus the lamb? He receives all who come to him in mercy and grace. The people in Jesus' day long for a hammer-type nationalistic messianic figure. We saw that at Advent. Jesus rode the donkey. A figure like Judas rode what? The war horse. Jesus said things like what? Do not combat vengeance with retaliation, but forgive. Jesus instructed his own people, his own followers, to forgive 70 times 7 or continually. Jesus pleaded with people because it led to life and freedom. Turn the other cheek. Love your enemy. Do this unto me. Jesus came with a counterintuitive message to forgive, love, and serve, and we all need to hear it. Because again, it is counterintuitive. Jesus has not called an army to seek vengeance. As we learned a few weeks ago, Jesus has called the poor in spirit, the meek and the merciful, to live freely, not bound by man or government, with the chains of hatred and vengeance. This is the way God chose to usher in his kingdom here on earth. So hear this. Lastly, two minutes. I can't empathize with all of you. I've had some pretty rough things done to me because I'm a human and I'm 40. Some of you have had some literally demonic things done to you. If you would like to talk and share that with me or others, please do so, because this isn't a magic pill either, right? It's not like, hear the words of Jesus and we're good. But what Jesus has done is he's laid down a new way to actively and proactively deal with some of the things that have been done to us. And he's called us to do so in forgiveness and freedom and love. And sometimes it takes more than one 32-minute sermon. Amen? It takes a lifetime. But listen to our captain. Don't live like the world. Don't seek vengeance. There's a new way, a better way, a freedom way. Let me pray. And if, uh, if any of you want to take me up on that, I will be gone the next four days to Yosemite. <laughs> Funny how I said, no, I'm kidding. But uh, love to sit down and talk, and we can hash through this, and if there's other resources, we'll get them involved. Because this is a heart issue. And our hearts are 
far more dynamic than any of us give us credit for, but they're also far more bruised sometimes than we care to admit, right? But Jesus is the bomb. His gospel is the truth, and his way is life. So let me pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this gathering. Thank you for your son. Thank you for his counterintuitive, in ways counter-spiritual, counter-physical, counter-cultural, counter-America, counter-Roman way of properly protesting the injustice in our own lives and in this world. Father, don't let your children simply be protesters with keyboards or signs, but let us do so with our lives. Let us, when needed, turn the other cheek, walk across and settle disputes. Let us give generously and mightily, and let us go the extra mile, per se, when we're asked to do something, even when it's hard. I pray for your people. I pray for all of us. Bless us and keep us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.